of you guys have heard me preach before? Um, <clears throat> I'm not the most polished preacher or anything like that, but um, I want you guys to know that before I speak, I, I, I ask the Lord, how, can, um, how does he want to bless you? How can I... Um, how can I give our church the heart of God? And for the most part, I have a pastoral heart. And, um, and I desire that my friends and our students in our school would be able to learn from my mistakes um, and not have to go through them. Uh, my students frequently hear me say, let me make that mistake for you. <laughs> I've already made it. Just stand on my shoulders. Let, let my ceiling be your floor. Um, a wise man has been quoted saying, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> so basically, live life and make big mistakes and learn from them. Um, I am by no means a wise old sage. Um, I've only been making mistakes and operating in bad judgment for a little over three decades. Um, some of you have been making mistakes m way longer than me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But without over-spiritualizing it or trying to view from, you know, eternity's perspective or anything like that, let me just say to you in the honesty of my heart that um, I would say that I've wasted already, I've already wasted huge chunks of my life. But God has this super highway system that accelerates us back to our destiny much faster than our mistakes take us to our demise. And that super highway system is called wisdom and revelation. You can read about it in Ephesians 1.17, where Paul is praying this epic prayer over the church, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's wisdom and revelation. So what I want to do today is tap into both of those. And, and so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would send us wisdom and revelation I know that, um, that this is a super highway system that God has designed to bring us to our destiny and to, to transform us into the image of Christ um, because of Scripture and because of uh, personal experience. I had this dream one time. Well, let me, let me tell you this. I grew up in the church, had a relationship with the Holy Spirit, was on fire trying to save my whole high school I turned 18 and completely just went off the reservation and uh, for a few years just lived very licentiously, a.k.a. real bad. I made real bad decisions for a couple years and, um, and then had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that brought me back. It was really through a, a brother's love, a brother in the Lord that brought me back to Christ. Several years later, I have this dream and in the dream, I'm sitting in a church, and um, it's kind of like an old church, like an A-frame, and there's a, a, like a window up close to the, the point of the A-frame in the, in the sanctuary. And this door opens, 
in the middle of the church service just mysteriously opens and I begin to levitate out of my chair and it freaks everyone out and I go straight through this window and, um, and I'm sitting now in this room with these two angelic beings and they're talking to each other. I mean, they know that I'm in the room, but they're talking to each other. And, and the leader of the two angelic beings says to the other, yeah, Jeremy was supposed to go to that um, you know, university and get that four-year degree. Um, but it's no big deal. We'll take care of it. And they both touch me at the same time. And I feel virtue coming into me. And all these facts and wisdom it, it was and and they then they, they take their hands off of me and I say to him, ask me a question. Ask me any question. And one of them asked me a question about history, and I know the answer. Another one asked me some like astrophysics question, and I know the answer. And then I wake up from the dream, and the Lord said, you just met wisdom and revelation. So I made huge mistakes, but the Lord is so much better at redeeming them than I could ever imagine. Um, <clears throat> so, I want us to be set up to have a more effective and happy year than the last one. I love that verse that, where it says, from glory to glory, not from mediocre to mediocre. <laughs> I love so, um, let's learn from uh, some of my mistakes and um, some of your mistakes and just get honest. Um, I'm done pretending like I have it all together. I think that that's lame church. <laughs> when when uh, the person speaking or, or leading anything always speaks from a position of this is, I used to be messed up, but I'm not messed up anymore. And here's how you cannot be messed up anymore. Instead, let me know, let, let me let you guys know, I am currently messed up. <laughs> Just like you, we are in this together. We are a family and we need each other. Um, so today I want to talk about how to um, really embrace the way the Lord has made us specifically and get in the right position. Um, <clears throat> I spent some time going through uh, the Word, um, finding the, the different offices and giftings and callings, and I'm going to try to put some language to them so that um, hopefully this, this side of the whiteboard helps us discover some of the things about who we are so that we can begin to focus on them. Um, it, one of my favorite verses of all time is Ephesians 4:11 through 13, where it says, God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body for the work of the ministry until we all come to unity of the faith in Jesus and to the full stature that is of Christ, to a mature man. And so Paul, um, he's really big on um, building the church. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if that's what he really wanted to do with his life, but from his letters, we know that's what he was kind of forced to do. Because <laughs> he was always cleaning up messes and setting up churches the way that they were supposed to run and dealing with this issue and that issue. And so he gives us these five offices. A lot of preachers or teachers will call it the five-fold ministry. 
good way to remember it is the apostle is like the thumb, the fivefold. The apostle touches all the other ministries. The prophet is the pointer finger because it points where the church is going. The evangelist is the middle finger because it has the furthest reach. The pastor is your ring finger. It's love, lovey-dovey. And the teacher is the pinky. His teacher brings balance. Without the teacher, that hand's going to the left. <laughs> okay? And then, um, and then I wanted to, to find all the, the gifts that we, you know, the Bible talks about, too. Um, and some people say that there's 7, 9, 11. Um, I found 23. Um, and there's, there's probably more, like, there's probably a gift today, like, Facebooking, Facebook evangelism. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how, to, how to travel well and coach. Um, <laughs> and, but these, these are some of the gifts. Administration, um, apostling, you know, which is an office, it's, but... Sometimes you can be apostling and not necessarily be an apostle. You just have a gift of being a pioneer. Um, you could be like an apostling pastor. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, building, communication, discernment, encouragement or exhorting, evangelizing, faith, giving, healing, hospitality, intercession, interpretation of tongues, leadership, mercy, Miracles, pastoring, prophecy, teaching, tongues, serving, uh, word of knowledge, and a word of wisdom. Um, I love the prophetic, so let me just explain real quick that uh, prophecy is kind of like the overarching uh, term that we can use for you know, discerning things in the future or what to look out for or and whatnot. Word of knowledge is, is just simply knowing a piece of information about something or someone out of by no natural means. Like that, you just got information from God. And word of wisdom is having a prophetic understanding of, uh, it's being able to speak into someone's life wisdom from God. Okay. <clears throat> so these are the gifts that are in the Bible. These are the offices that are in the Bible. Um, I'm not saying that this is a complete list, but it's a great one to look at. And let me get to uh, my first point today and say, you are doing too much. Howard Hendricks once said that the secret of concentration is elimination. See, we want to... Um, we want to be good at all sorts of things, and, and especially if, if we're part of a small company or a small church, um, often we want to demonstrate that nothing is beneath us, because nothing is beneath us. I mean, Jesus got down and, and washed feet, but if Jesus just was a foot washer all the time, not a lot would have been getting, like, gotten done. <laughs> They would have all had beautifully smelling feet. <clears throat> See, we want to become a jack of all trades. But there are two important rules. The less you do, the more you can accomplish. And the less you do, the more you will enable others. There's this myth that says leaders have to be good at everything. But what I want us to do to have a more effective uh, year in front of us is to learn to concentrate on our strength. Our strengths. Um, we're juggling a lot, but what are the things that we can let fall? 
because people will emerge and pick them up. I want us to become mission-driven instead of need-driven. Um, now, I know that this sounds like some magical, awesome place to live, and you're thinking, well, um, it also sounds impossible <laughs> to, to do just the things that are our strengths. And um, I agree with you. It, you won't be able to do this straight away, but it's something that I want us to start to work towards, um, and I want us to find the things that we do that no one else can do. Or the things that when we do them, there is this aroma of Christ released because we've suddenly stepped into something that we were made to do. So we're doing too much. That means that we're stepping away from some of our core competencies based on need, and that is diminishing our effectiveness. So what are some of the obstacles to just letting those other things that we're juggling drop to the ground? One of the obstacles towards just focusing on our strength is what I call the, the quest for balance. <clears throat> Um, being well-rounded is a is an old was it a colloquialism? It's a, it's it's just the American way, you know. It, it's to say someone is well-rounded is is a compliment, and uh, there's nothing wrong with being um, well-rounded, except that you'll never be. <laughs> You just can't be. You can't be good at everything. That's why we're a body made up of different parts. And so, um, let's, I mean, it would, don't let me get ahead of myself. Uh, it seems admirable to want to be well-rounded, but history is not full of heroes that were known predominantly for being well-rounded. Napoleon was not well-rounded. <laughs> I'm sure that he cleaned dishes occasionally at some point in his life, but eventually he stopped cleaning dishes and stuck to military strategy and took over the known world. <laughs> and I bet you he was probably pretty good with a gun, but he did not stand up on the sniper wall. He was not going to leave his position of being the overarching strategist because that is his main strength to pick up a gun and shoot it from the wall. So what I want to say to you is that your business or your church is the thing that must be well-rounded, but you personally will never be well-rounded. You, and, and you can stop trying. I give you permission to stop. And instead, let's delegate. I want us to get in our zone. Vincent, I, I probably learned half of what I'm going to say today or 80% of what I'm going to say today from Vincent Corcoran. He calls it staying in your lane. Okay? You know what you're supposed to do and what you're good at. Stick to it. Um, and I want to... Give a shameless plug for Vince, too. He just finished the first draft of his book. 
which is really a lot about what we're, we're talking about today, only much more in depth and with much better points. <laughs> um, another obstacle is simply a failure to distinguish between authority and competence which is what I just talked about with um, Napoleon. He had authority over the snipers, but if he were to stop doing what he was doing and try to show the snipers how to do their job, it would have diminished the effectiveness and it, and it could lose him wars if he's stepping out of position in order to try to um, pretend like he's competent at something that he has authority over. Does that make sense? Um, if we were, okay, so we've got Mason, who is a sound man, and he's great at it. <laughs> but John is uh, one of the directors. He's one of the, the, the founders of our, of our church. John has authority over that sound booth. But if John goes back there <laughs> and starts pretending like he's competent at what he has authority over, it's, no offense, John. It's not going to sound good in here. <clears throat> Another obstacle is uh, having an inability to distinguish between what we are good at and what we aren't good at. So if John actually believes that he's good <laughs> at controlling the soundboard, then again, our organization, the effectiveness is going to be diminished. Um, also, I know this from experience, uh, don't get too freaked out, but leadership can be intoxicating and we can lose perspective. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Got promoted too early or got promoted real young and you're the hot shot in the position and it gets a little bit intoxicating? I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying that some of us... <laughs> um, Acknowledging our weaknesses does not make us less effective. And when I acknowledge a weakness to my team, it's never uh, like new information. <laughs> Everyone else knew it. They were just waiting for me to agree. <clears throat> Another obstacle to focusing on our strengths and delegating out our weaknesses is guilt. Um, we assume that everyone hates the things that we hate to do. But there are people whom God has called to do the things that we are not called to do. And we should release them to do them. Um, I'm not so great at remembering to email out details and setting up the like intricate workings of events and... Um, I've, I've tried it, and I've proven that I would at least try, but um, <laughs> um, wouldn't it be much more beneficial for the whole church or your company um, for you to find someone who loves to do the things that you are terrible at? Your weakness is someone else's opportunity. 1 Corinthians 12.15 says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. Would it then, uh, for that reason, stop being part of the body? Or if the ear should say, Because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body. 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part honors is honored, then every part rejoices with it. I love this passage because it attacks um, both external and internal um, mindsets that are disabling and even killing churches. Um, the external is the first part where it's someone saying to you, I don't need you, or what you have isn't important because I'm the leader. Uh, that's, that's an external thing that is going to diminish the effectiveness of a church. But it also attacks the internal, where it, sa it says, if I believe that I'm no good, if my gifts are not that great, and I'm essentially saying, I don't belong to the body. I don't have a place. Well, the person that, let me just say this uh, safely. Um, when I degrade and speak down about my own gifts that God has placed in me, I'm disabling the body as much as some maniacal leader that won't give anyone a place. This passage totally attacks those mindsets, and, and, and I love it because we are part of a body, and we need to become the body. We need to come together because um, if we're missing a hand, let's say your, your hand has been chopped off, um, where's all the blood going to go? Straight out. <laughs> Well, Jesus says, he talks about the power of the blood. The, the blood is, is the power of Christ to transform hearts and minds and cities. We need the blood. So if we, if we are um, not letting a hand be part of our body, or if, we're, if we are a hand and we're saying, I'm not part of the body, well, then the church is going to have no power because all the blood's going to fall out of it. The Lord told me one time, if you become the body, I'll supply the blood. If you become a family, I'll supply the love. Uh, <clears throat> another obstacle, the fifth obstacle to, that comes up in our minds when we're thinking about just wanting to focus on our strengths and delegating out our weaknesses is a failure or unwillingness to uh, develop other leaders. Um, it's easier just to do it yourself. If you want something done, you got to do it yourself. But um, great leadership is when we work through other people. Um, if there is no one to whom we can delegate, uh, it's really our own fault. And this has happened to me many times. I needed someone to do something I was terrible at in order for you know for the school, but I didn't raise up a leader. See, it, great leaders 
which is you guys. You have Christ inside of you. You are the leaders of the known world. Great leaders raise up other leaders. The early church started out with the disciples, or the, the main apostles, being waiters. They remembered Jesus washing feet, and so they served, but there came a point of conflict. They were actually neglecting the work of the ministry of the Word um, so that they could continue to hand out food to widows and orphans, which is a great thing to do. And so it actually became a dereliction of their, their, their duty. They were, they were neglecting what God had called them to do because they were doing good things. <clears throat> what they did, they did not ask for volunteers. They chose seven men. And the results of that are clear from Scripture. It says, The word of the Lord spread, the number of disciples grew, and key influencers in the city were converted. Revival broke out because they delegated. They decided to embrace the things that they were good at, kick all these obstacles to the curb and find people that would be great at doing those things. And because of that, think of what came out of that. When those apostles decided to focus on what they were good at, it created Stephen and it created Philip. Heroes were released into their destiny because leaders delegated out the things that they were terrible at. Was the task of those seven stewards or those seven deacons less important? No. But what we can do as a church or as a company or as a family is we can upgrade our performance by playing to our strengths and delegating our, our weaknesses. John Maxwell says that you are most valuable where you add the most value. I want to talk about um, something we mentioned earlier. Um, the secret of concentration is elimination. The Howard Hendricks quote. Because in your minds right now, I know that some of you are saying, but Jeremy, I, I, I just got to work this job. I need, I need the money. I totally agree with you. I've absolutely been there. Or, um, you know, I, I, I feel like God called me to this position in ministry. And, you know, it's terrible right now. Like, but, you know, I, I think that God called me there. Well, I, I agree with you too. Um, but let me, just, let me just say this. In 1 John 5.3, it says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. The commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. So it's not God's fault, obviously, um, if we are in a taxing, burdensome situation. It may be that we were listening to someone who was not the Holy Spirit, who was masquerading as the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the definition of burdensome. Troublesome. And while I'm reading out these definitions, these synonyms, why don't you just bring to mind, or let the Holy Spirit bring to mind, things that you're doing, positions that you're in, stuff that is your responsibility, 
that falls in this category. <laughs> it's going to be fun, trust me. <clears throat> Remember, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome, which means they're not troublesome, crushing, demanding, disturbing, exacting, heavy, oppressive, exhausting, taxing, tough, trying, wearing, wearying, weighty, marked by great psychological weight. Weighed down, especially with sadness or troubles or weariness, a heavy heart, a heavy schedule, heavy eyelids. So if you are in an activity that is causing you great psychological heaviness, I would ask the Lord, God, did you tell me to do this? Or have I been bamboozled? <laughs> I would stop and I would evaluate and ask, did I hear the Holy Spirit? Or did I hear the accuser of the brethren masquerading as the Holy Spirit telling me I don't do enough? That I need to do more? Because this very thing is what is blocking you from being effective in life. It's blocking favor. I, uh, <clears throat> I love soccer. I grew up playing it ever since I was a kid. And every team needs a goalie. No matter how good your offense and defense is, if there's not a guy that can stop the ball in front of the net, you're done for. And what we had in our team was a bunch of, we were small guys, um, but there was this one guy named Josh, and he loved being the goalie. He had a lot of heart, but he was real short, kind of chubby, <laughs> not very coordinated, but you could kick a ball straight at his face and he would not move. He would stop that ball. He had all the heart and the will in the world to be the goalie. And, and he was our only option at the time. And so we made Josh the goalie, which means that the defense really had to pick it up. The def our defenders really sometimes just had to stand right in front of the goal and take a shot at him. Because <laughs> a goalie is supposed to be tall and lanky and you know reach all the corners of the goal. And this guy was super short. He could not jump and touch the crossbar. So all, all our opponents had to do was kick it about, you know, six foot five. <laughs> but Josh was awesome. We loved him. He had all the heart in the world. But a couple years later, a guy moved to our school named Chris. And Chris was tall and super athletic and super skilled. And he loved being the goalie. And so um, it was sad, but... Um, our coach relieved Josh of the goalie duties and put Chris in the position of the goalie. And you know what happened? What? Our team started winning a lot more goals. I mean, a lot more, a lot, a lot more games. <laughs> and so the job of the coach or the leader sometimes stinks because you have to tell someone their blind spot. Like, listen, Josh, you've got all the heart in the world. You've been, you know, just great at doing what you do. But we're going to put Chris in goalie because he's about a foot taller than you. <laughs> and it's just a natural strength. Um, what would happen in our church 
if someone who was predominantly an evangelist was put in the position of pastor. It would be comical for a while, and then it would be sad. But <laughs> the part that would be comical is that <laughs> week after week, you'd get pounded with the gospel of Christ, and there would be an altar, altar call. Like, that would be the pastor. He'd be up there trying to save every soul that walked through the door. But the pastor's job is to give counsel and love and understanding and give, give teachings that help us live good lives and help us to overcome sorrows and, and painful tragedies. That's the job of a pastor. So if an evangelist is in that position, he's going to be more like, uh, why don't you just get over it? <laughs> uh, don't you know you're a new creation? <laughs> the old has come. I mean, the old has gone. The new has come. <laughs> Behold, it's passed away. You're new. Get over it. You know? And so that's the part where it become really sad. <clears throat> or what if, um, <clears throat> flip it, if someone who is predominantly a pastor is the uh, evangelist for the church, well, you wouldn't have many conversions because there would be this guy going out on the streets or going around just, you know, giving great, eloquent, you know, teachings about you know Jesus's love and 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 just hugging strangers and stuff like that. A lot of times, that's all you know, all it takes. But um, that pastor might not be good at actually talking about what salvation is. And that's, that's not a bad thing. If that pastor was then consumed with trying to be a good evangelist, it would become that burdensome situation that would be psychologically weighty, and it would completely diminish the effectiveness of the church. But in an honest church, with honest oversight, which we have here, that oversight would say, there's a pastor who's trying to be an evangelist, and there's an evangelist who's trying to be a pastor. Why don't we just swap? Let's just try this out for a while. And you would watch those people come alive. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And what's implied here is that the answer is no. No, but that doesn't mean that you can't occasionally operate outside your core competencies. See, but we have to play a part that is best determined by our innate special abilities that are God-given. It says in Romans that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. We can, outs we can operate outside our core competencies out of necessity for a time. But if we stay there, we will actually be robbing the church. Do you guys know how important each one of you are? Every person in this room, um, you know, whether you, you've decided to make this your home or, or not, um, God has brought together people that represent all five of those offices and every one of those gifts yeah. in this room because he's a good father that loves to give gifts to his children. 
You are so important. And the gifts that are inside you are so valuable to the church. If you decide to not operate in them, to not pursue what you're passionate about, if you decide to downplay how you've been made, you are robbing the church. And we will all suffer. So in summary, don't do that. <laughs> this is uh, the conclusion for today. Um, I'm just going to read off this summary. And then what I want us to do is spend a little bit of time as a church praying in the new year. Just like it says in, in Acts 4, we are continually devoted to prayer. And this is how we want to end the year. But in summary, stuff that I said today, recognize that you have limited strengths and do whatever it takes to discover what they are. Once you know, find an environment that allows you to focus your energies on the few things that you were created to do well. Delegating, to, this is a quote from Stephen Covey, delegating to others is perhaps the single most powerful high leveraging activity there is. Number two, don't allow your time to get eaten up with responsibilities and projects that call for skills that fall outside your core competencies. That is without a doubt a recipe for mediocrity. Number three, embrace this truth. The less you do, the more you will accomplish. Narrow your focus to increase your productivity. You will expand your influence within your organization. Number four, empower those leaders around you by delegating those responsibilities that fall outside your zone. Someone is dying to pick up the ball that you've been dropping. Number five, <clears throat> remember great leaders know when to follow. Number six, um, ask yourself this question, what defines success for your current situation? If you are a stay-at-home mother, if you are um, a CEO, if you are uh, a trash guy, you know, that's going to pick up 10 trash bags from behind my house filled with wrapping paper tomorrow morning, <laughs> figure out what defines success, and you will be promoted. Um, number seven, ask yourself, is there alignment between my core competencies and the competencies necessary to, to succeed in my job? Number eight, what would change in your job description if you were given freedom to focus on the two or three things that you do best? In other words, dare to dream. What would your life look like in, in your organization, or if you started a business, or whatever, if you were actually able to do the two or three things that you were exceptional at. Number nine, what would need to change in your current employment situation in order for you to focus on those things where you add the most value? See, Jesus makes no mistakes with the way that he created you. And I believe that um, I believe the church the, the church right now across the world has every single key player it needs to take over the world. We're all in the wrong positions.
we're all trying to do things that we think are good ideas, and we're dropping the things that God created us to do. Rick Joyner always says that um, bad is not the enemy of best. Good is always the enemy of best. Because you will consume your life with good things and never reach the best things. And this is what Jesus wants for us.